Hello and welcome back to the You Matter podcast. This is episode three. Welcome back. I hope you're all well. Uh, I want to thank everyone that listened and contributed to ongoing conversations on the back of my last episode, where I chatted to Margaret Collins about imposter syndrome. This is clearly a subject which strikes a chord with a lot of health professionals and indeed members of the general population. And it's something that I really want to continue looking at because the purpose of you matter is not just to raise conversation it's to help us try and find solutions and move forward and really address the things that are troubling us and holding us back sometimes as clinicians so on to today where i am talking to five brilliant women in healthcare these women answered the call to a Facebook post which questioned why women, sometimes more than men, are reticent to come forward and share their opinions, particularly online. The conversation was really honest. We looked inward to ourselves as women and asked whether sometimes we hold each other to account for norms and traditions that we perhaps have grown up um, around what is acceptable as a woman or what, what makes us acceptable as a woman in society and whether sometimes we don't serve each other well in, in how we treat each other perhaps in our eagerness to fit in we sometimes ostracize women who stand out who, who are perhaps prepared to go against the grain the conversation also looked at bullying in the workplace and um, we questioned whether leadership and uh, people in positions of power are using that position wisely, um, levels of confidence in healthcare leaders. Um, and we also looked at role models, people that had um, supported us in our careers, people we looked up to. Um, we even discussed whether Ron Weasley or Hermione Granger were more deserving of the limelight. <laughs> and you'll see at the end of the discussion that I had more trouble stopping these women talking than getting them started, which is fantastic. And I'm joking, I would have happily continued the conversation for another couple of hours. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. And um, I really look forward to your feedback. I'll be back at the end. So hello and welcome to session three of You Matter. And I'm so pleased to be hosting this session with five wonderful women who came together as a result of a post by Evie Martin. So Evie is a physio who might be known quite well to a lot of people listening to this podcast. Evie put a post up in the Physio and Therapist Support Facebook group and Evie's post, I probably won't quote it word for word, but it was along the lines of, I've noticed that women tend not to come forward to appear on podcasts. She was specifically talking about podcasts and it sparked a really interesting thread, lots of women agreeing, giving their opinions as to why that may or may not be the case. And uh, as I went through the thread myself I thought well okay I'll invite some women onto my podcast and see who comes forward and maybe maybe we can thrash out that question and some other questions relating to women in healthcare 
And the wonderful five women that I have with me today are the ones who were brave enough to come forward and actually appear on the podcast. So I'm really grateful. And without further ado, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. Uh, So ladies, could you just let us know your name and where you work? And I'm going to start according to how you are on my screen. So starting with Kate. Kate, I'm an (laughs) occupational therapist um, and I work for a charity in Surrey. Lovely. And next on my screen is Madeline. Hi, my name's um, Madeline Boots, otherwise known as Mads. Um, I work for Cardiff Uni and also my own clinic. Okay, and you're a physio? A physio, yeah. Yeah, Lovely. And Charmaine? Hi, I'm Charmaine and I'm based in Alderney, but I'm currently doing a work placement locum post with the military and I'm a physio. Lovely. And next on my screen is Lisa. Hi, my name's Lisa Clapp. I'm also a physiotherapist and I work for a private physio company called Retrehab Physiotherapy. Great. And last but not least, Lucy. I'm Lucy McDonald, also a physiotherapist and work in London, run my own clinic, Octopus Clinic. Fantastic. So we've got four physios or five physios, if you include me, and Kate, the occupational therapist. So my first question actually relates directly to that post from Evie. And I'm going to ask you, Lucy, why is it that you think women tend not to come forward perhaps as often as men for things like speaking on podcasts? teaching, writing articles, things like that? So it was really interesting when that post uh, went up. It actually um, sort of flared up a few things that had been um, mulling with me for a while. Mm. And off the back of it, um, I contacted a, a number of the women that that um, that commented on that post. And um, there were some very consistent themes from people that, that, that um, shared their opinion. So um, the first one was that that post was a really good example because in the post it said um, it was a, a man who had asked the question. Uh, I asked 50 men um, for if they wanted to join the podcast, 25 women who wanted to join the podcast. And the vast majority of men said yes. And, and the vast majority of women said no. Um, that would, for me, is the starting point. 50 men were asked and 25 women were asked. And yet there was no reflection in the general post that that might have been a, an imbalance, mm. um, especially as 60 to 70 percent of um, physios uh, in our area of um, musculoskeletal and sports uh, physio are women. So obviously there's a, 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 a mismatch there. Um, and then I think a lot of uh, podcasts, um, because they're, they're, a lot of them are, are led by men, um, that they're, they're, they're more designed for, for men. Okay. So they don't necessarily appeal to women. This, this kind of forum that you've set up, Joe, is amazing because we all feel quite comfortable doing this. And I think if, if, if women are turning down someone, um, it might be worth that person asking themselves why is that is there some way that they can make that person more comfortable we know that women um, or girls from the age of six are lacking in, com- in confidence comparative to their male counterparts and that that um, perpetuates throughout our lives so one of the, the things would be that you know instead of a guy saying to a guy oh mate do you want to join my podcast he's more likely to say yes a guy saying to a a woman hey do you fancy doing this podcast she's more likely to go oh 
um, oh, you know, so he might need to frame that in a more positive way, you know, saying, I'd like you to join me on my podcast because I value your expertise in X, mm. Y, and Z. And then that woman might be more likely to recognize her value and, and put herself forwards. Um, but also there's other themes about women being very reticent to want to put their opinions out there because um, on social media, there's quite a lot of negativity. And if you, you know, if you make a mistake and say something that is contrary to, to um current medical or opinion mm-hmm. you're absolutely slammed in a in a in a quite an aggressive way yeah. and I think that really makes women very worried about stepping forwards because we tend to prefer to stay within our comfort zones in comparative to in comparison to men who are more comfortable being out of their their comfort zone I, I understand that's across across the board you know whether it's you know doing podcasts or whether it's athletes or you know whoever so um other things that that women mentioned were often the women are um who have families are the major the main primary carers for their children or their elderly parents or so time wise they just really struggle so if you say to someone i want you to do a um a podcast at x time and and that's exactly the time where you're picking your kids up from school you know that you're not going to so you're not going to be able to do it um so having some kind of flexibility around that being able to say well actually if I really do want this person um I recognize that they have caring responsibilities perhaps we could do the podcast at a different time or you know just being a bit more Mm. flexible around it Mm. um and just generally being pretty exhausted I think as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh there's so much in that answer Lucy lots of lots Mm. of things to pick up on and and so, yeah, I hear what you're saying about a little bit about how you frame it, how you frame the invitation. And maybe um, you know, we can discuss the reasons why. But uh, I really heard what you said about women perhaps needing to know exactly why. You know, why why would you want my input specifically on that podcast? And women, for whatever reason, may need a little bit more um, explanation and detail around that. And, and, yeah, the practical things as well of when you actually decide to record it and um those kind of uh, logistics. But you also referred to a lot of sort of um, societal uh, norms or maybe trends or things that we learn as girls and boys growing up. And I'd like to pick up that thread. Um, maybe, Lisa, could I ask you do, you, do you feel there are some things that maybe society teaches us as girls and indeed boys, um, but... I wonder specifically if there are things that we pick up as girls that that we learn make us acceptable. Um, and, and does, can you think of things that feed into what Lucy was saying about uh, our discomfort with uh, voicing our opinion and perhaps with then being told we're wrong? Do you think society plays a part in that? Absolutely. I think that um, I think that probably you know a large reason why. Um, women don't put themselves forward and don't feel confident in doing that um, is due to, I think we're a lot more insecure um, than men. And I absolutely think that that does stem from both childhood and also, like you say, from the way we think we need to be for society to accept us. Um, I think um, as adults, I think we all feel we have to look a certain way, behave a certain way. And I think... 
I don't know, I think growing up you feel as a girl, as a woman, if you put your neck on the line, as Lucy just said, if you if you speak out, if you have a slight difference of opinion as a woman, I think you are completely bombarded. I think you're seen as perhaps being difficult, aggressive, um, and I think you're not kind of fitting in. You're not just morphing into the general sort of main um, sort of thoughts and accepted you know, why people see things. Um, whereas I think if you similarly had a difference of opinion and aired it as a man and put yourself forward, I actually think people would think, oh, you know, is that what you think? That's an interesting idea, interesting concept. Um, and they would accept it. Whereas I absolutely feel as a woman, if you feel slightly different, if you are outspoken, I do think people think you're aggressive, you're stroppy, you're difficult. I think I think there's quite a stark difference there. Mm. Don't, don't you think it's, um, because I don't necessarily all think it, it's that conscious, but if you think back to um, kind of even playground or certainly I know I've, I've physioed in a rugby club before, but with boys, there is that natural banter, you know, they can say quite derogatory stuff to each other and, and it's kind of acceptable and it's okay. And I think maybe, maybe through that you learn a bit of resilience and you, you take it on the chin you know it's okay whereas I think probably as women we naturally take some of we would take that quite personally and it'd be quite hurtful maybe we're a little bit more emotive I, I don't know but I think that's it's something that's present from very very early on and maybe we just don't get out of it absolutely I think women I think we just all I think we, we need that closeness don't we? we need a bond in a different way to men and I think sometimes to do that we're I think we can be our own worst enemy um by expecting fellow women to also say certain things and maybe like from early days on a play school um you know playground ostracizing the the girl that perhaps was slightly different because she you felt she didn't fit in I don't know like you say we don't accept that difference and that grows with us whereas like you say with men um it's fine it's accepted it's banter it's it's fine so I think it's quite complicated. I think it's not only how society views us, but how we um, accept other women, and that comes perhaps from early on. Do you think there? Do you think there is a positive we can tease out, Lucy? In that, I'm just thinking when when you were talking actually, Madeline, about the playground and it being acceptable for boys to have banter. Um, and as a mother of a son and a daughter, I do wonder. You know, I'm. I can't help thinking of the the young boys in that scenario and you know is there another pressure on boys just not to express that that isn't comfortable um and is there a positive that as women we we do grow up feeling at least we can say that to each other I mean I don't know and I'm playing devil's devil's advocate to that um scenario but do you think there is any either positive for us or perhaps something similar going on for for boys and and young men but they're just not allowed to express it well I mean I I don't have children myself but I I I can imagine growing up there is there you do get a sense of relief if you can feel the emotion and you can express it and you can Mm. get past it then perhaps you don't hang on to it um and and I suspect behind the scenes you know well we, we know don't we actually that um sort of suicide is is quite prevalent in young men and I wonder you know we'll probably never get to the to the depths of that but I think probably that's got something to do with it in the fact that they feel they can't express so that you know that that I think there is a little bit of an urgency in terms of society being able to 
make it okay to express stuff. Um, if does that make banter bad? I don't. I, I, it's gonna. It's always going to be a fine line because I think. I think we can take ourselves too seriously. So I think actually sometimes people putting us back down to earth is a little bit helpful. Um, but maybe there's certain areas in society where it can go to the extreme. I think mm. it depends on the context, doesn't it? I mean, mm. banter, the difference between something being offensive and something being, you know, uh, al- almost a um, flattering thing because someone feels comfortable and, and knows you, and you, you know, like the sort of things that you might tease with your really closest friends you know there's no way you would accept that those kind of comments from from you know work colleagues or so it's so all about context and Mm. um and yeah it's the same with with kind of bullying and dignity in general the problem is you can meet you can not mean something with offense but if it it's it's how it's perceived by that individual and we don't always know and I think some of that's about education and probably that education needs to happen much earlier than it does. Mm. It's actually interesting because of the contrast you were saying about banter. So um, I have my practice in Alderney and I'm a sole practitioner there. I've come over to the UK really to get paid for some CPD and actually meet with other physio colleagues. So I'm loving it at the moment. I'm working in a military environment uh, and I'm doing um, helping out with rehab classes and working with a, a fellow um, exercise rehab instruction I'm working as the physio and the banter with the boys one is actually really really funny um, and I'm laughing quite a lot um, but also I think that in a way it's also one it's definitely about context it's also about um, where you see yourself as a woman as well um, and I think it's that about building resilience now resilience isn't always about being roughy tufty but it's about knowing who you are as a woman or as a person, uh, I just happen to be a woman. I could be a bloke, but it's still important to know who I am as that person. What makes me tick? What doesn't make me tick? What I find funny, what I don't find funny um, about creating appropriate boundaries. So within that, that banter situation, I'll be, I'm always monitoring the level. And if it goes beyond what I think is acceptable, I'll put a stop to it. But, you know, the fact that we can laugh, that we can interact and I'm still developing and delivering a service to that particular client group um, is important because I'm actually professional Mm. um, and I'm there to deliver a service so if the banter is good humoured and it helps them to get on with their exercises then great but if it starts to get derogatory or I don't feel comfortable and I think what women are very good at we do actually have the inherent sense of what our boundaries are but we don't always speak about it quickly enough we let it go and of course if you let it slide then people will you know will will go beyond that and before it's almost like it's too late to take back so you almost need to say these are my boundaries now Mm. I I have to say I was just going to jump jump in on that one but just say actually I if I'm if I really interrogate my own behavior I probably find it much easier to set my boundaries when I'm in my professional role when I'm working as a physio when it's in personal life but sometimes perhaps I you know that those you let those boundaries there on a longer leash I think it's much easier when you've got a professional kind of barrier and you can say actually no that's not acceptable um and perhaps you you know you're viewed as a professional in that sense as well so I wonder if you know at that point it becomes easier it helps a bit yeah one of the just um just a quick quick note on that um one of the things that a lot of the women said to me when I um, I did a video on my own experiences of sexism 
um, for International Women's Day. And I got tons and tons and tons of messages uh, from women, both private messages, because a lot of women wanted to be anonymous um, and, and on the social media channels I shared it on. And um, there was a really consistent theme of uh, your, your sharing made me realise how many situations I've been in um, and I've never spoken up going forwards I'm going to speak up mm. and I think this is the huge power coming back to what um, you were asking Lisa Joe about um, what we what we're good at I think we've we've learned as women to collaborate yeah. when we collaborate that's very very powerful well, whenever whenever any human beings collaborate it's powerful but yeah. I think because we share uh, some shared experiences that's if we can speak up that you know that has a really strong ripple effect so many things from that conversation I mean um, thank you Lucy I'll come back to the minute that in a minute so when Charmaine was speaking particularly about boundaries you know anybody watching on YouTube will have seen us all nodding away if you if you're just listening I promise you were all nodding there and Charmaine I loved your phrase about um you or the way I interpret it was you understanding yourself as a woman in that scenario and what I pick up on that is you as a woman but as an individual and a woman and I love the fact that or I hope that we are working towards a time where we define ourselves as this woman you know not a woman I am this woman with these boundaries and these thoughts and these um uh aspirations and loves and joys and hates and in all the things that make you this woman yeah. rather than yes yeah. rather than the oh, societal <laughs> yes yes of course yes yeah but it was really interesting in that context um uh I've been employed as a physio actually that's my role I wasn't I wasn't employed because I was a woman I was employed as a physio first and foremost that's the title that that comes with the job I just happened to be wearing this particular gender mm. <laughs> for that job role um and um it was inter- it's, it's been really interesting again in doing the compare and contrast from little sleepy Alderney uh to here where you're exposed to all sorts of different um, challenges. I'm loving it. I'm absolutely grand because, again, there's the collaboration thing, yeah. um, working with other people, the debates, the discussions, you know, professional to professional. You know, you might have differences or shades of opinion, but you're talking about improving. You're talking about doing no harm. You're talking about delivering something which is beneficial. And that is so empowering, actually. Mm. Um, and maybe you know there's, there's there's been this stuff about this uh the new zealand's prime minister you know just because i'm a woman doesn't mean i'm not strong you know there's been lots of stuff about her she has um she's kind of personified what we've all probably been doing in our own way in our own situation for a long long time it's just that it's not being inverted commas recognized like, is it a question of needing to be recognized or is it that um we overthink maybe Maybe we're too aware of what other people think of us. Maybe we need to be a bit more resilient. Not that we're not, we're not caring. Of course we are. But sometimes we also need to take the bull by the horns. Sometimes we cannot be doing what we're doing 
inverted commas without some sort of not amounts or some sort of ability we we all have ability because we wouldn't be doing what we're doing Absolutely. physiotherapy as a profession is a tough profession it's not namby pamby it's not pink and fluffy because we have to do a lot of difficult things across a whole range of of uh, population groups and we still have to deliver quality uh, expertise we're always doing our CPD we're always reading we're always trying to work out what's going on for that individual mm. you know it's 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 just the way it's interpreted but you know I think we're we're strong we're incredible human beings and we couldn't do what we do in our job role without having something about us absolutely I think we don't sorry I was gonna say I think we don't value that I think I think you're absolutely right, 100 percent. But we don't we don't see it. We don't appreciate it. Um, we don't sell ourselves. We don't feel that strength within us, even though I think you're right. It is a tough job and it's actually quite assertive to do the role to actually make a difference, you know. Um, but I don't think we we feel that, do we, sometimes inside? Um, and I don't know why. I I think maybe do you think there might be a difference in male female um just not personality just the way we are we are more emotional aren't we naturally we are um more aware of other people's emotions feelings interestingly female in, interestingly although that's a popular um opinion there isn't any they found that there isn't any reason why that should be the case really yeah yeah but um but just on that, if anyone, I found this book really helpful. I got it for patients. Just read the title, Lucy. Strength Coaching in 90 Minutes by Mike Pegg. Strength it, Coaching. It's in 90 Minutes because it's the summary of this massive, massive handbook. Mm. And I got it um, in view of um, using it with patients. And actually, I ended up using it on myself. And it's absolutely brilliant. So I would recommend basically what it does is it teaches you to draw out what your strengths are like Charmaine was saying so you draw and then you 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 literally so you you establish right this is what I'm good at um so really helpful to just define that if if people watching this are do struggle with knowing what they what they're good at mm. I did um a workshop the other day so hashtag I am remarkable I think it, it came from um, an initiative by Google and they it's now a workshop that they're spreading and part of that you had to sit down to an exercise for about 10 minutes and write as many comments as you can about I am remarkable because um and it was the hardest 10 minutes because I think with everything with every I am remarkable comment there's uh but you know I feel like perhaps I could do a bit better or you know is that that is it is it that remarkable <laughs> I think that was one of my comments to you Joe when we uh, joined up for this is I said I'll do a podcast but I'm not a brilliant woman <laughs> yeah I should just explain that I, I formed a messenger group um for the for these women and I called it brilliant women yes and I never thought it would trigger so <laughs> imposter syndrome <laughs> and I, I mean actually that that phrase um imposter syndrome that was the subject of my my last um podcast and I oh that's such a, a big subject almost every healthcare professional I speak to around this issue of self-care and and well-being um everybody brings up this phrase so much at the moment mm. um and Kate can I direct this question at you so 
um, a lot of the things we've alluded to, the, the voices that Madeline has just um, said come back to you when you dare to perhaps express that you might be remarkable at something. Um, if we call that, you know, your inner critic, which is an element of imposter syndrome, do you get any sense that that is a female thing or do you think everyone suffers from it but in different ways? What, what's your view about that? I don't particularly think it's a female thing, mm. but I definitely think that to the outside world, imposter syndrome looks very different on different people. Um, And um, I think that women deal with it differently. And I think that a lot of it will be based around the things that we've talked about already. A lot of the cultures that we come from, that we work within, that we aspire to be like, will affect how we respond to certain situations. Um, I've done it. I've been asked to provide a training session. I'm like, well, I'm not the best person to do this. Maybe I'm cheaper than someone else. And that's why they've asked me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you know, um, I did it and I had the skills and it's fine. And somebody else might be more experienced than me, but I've still got lots of value. And it takes a long time to learn that um and I think it takes um cultures communities people around you um to draw upon that I do think men suffer from imposter syndrome I definitely think they do Mm. um and I probably do think that there are large generalizations that you can apply to men and women about how they deal with it but certainly my experience as a woman and colleagues that I have and friends that I have, um, then I think women do tend to pitch a little bit below the bar Mm. when it comes to things that they're asked to do. Which goes right back to the podcast question, doesn't it? And and Lucy's answer that, um, you know, if if the majority of those 50 men that were asked didn't, wouldn't even ask the question, just go, yeah, fine. Um, And uh, I've heard it said that men will apply for jobs um, when they think they've got 60 percent of the criteria, whereas women need above 80 to even consider themselves worth looking at Mm -hmm. um and and that goes back to what you were just saying Kate that that need to be you know if I'm not near as damn it perfect then I am not the person that should be doing x y and z absolutely and I think um I've heard it bounded out around quite a lot but I do think women carry a lot of um what I've heard a nice term called the emotional load um obviously women aren't more emotional I've just found out um but (laughs) I do carry a lot of the emotional load and even looking back at it before I was married with kids I still bore a lot of emotional load in my relationships at work and outside of it and I do think that's a natural tendency um and I wrote on that post that you know the other thing I wanted to mention is that it's been proven that during this time specifically, so a year into COVID, women have borne many of the responsibilities that this has brought on, caring, extra caring on top of caring already, or mm. the homeschooling has research has been done has been borne much more by um, women and they've taken on a lot more. Um, I can personally vouch for those things and that you know there is a gap and if a a podcast invite I wrote came into my inbox then I would file that as a nice to do and then you forced me to (laughs) (laughs) 
I just clarify um, I did not. <laughs> to do to make the time and it's good to make the time but I just think that women take on a hell of a lot yeah. um, mm. and I which kind of refers back to that question about can we you know can we have it all um why sh- I mean probably but we need some help <laughs> yeah it's a big question isn't it can can we have it all and do it all and it's something I've battled with myself um I've spoken to Jack Chu on his lunchtime show chewing over about this this subject of how guilty I can feel sometimes in that there are all all these women in history behind me that have fought and died to give me all these opportunities and as a little perfectionist girl growing up I managed to reinterpret that message as you you must do everything and you must do all those things to the highest standard that anybody could do any of those things and you know I, I don't know where that message was fed from but somewhere along the line that that's what I heard and Marnie Granger <laughs> We have a lot in common, Lucy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> sidekick. Sorry. All, all the female sidekicks, if you look uh-huh. at it, when we're kids, I mean, even now I see it, it drives me nuts. I can't bear Peter Rabbit for this, partly for this reason, is that his little female sidekick is way more intelligent than him, way more prepared than him. Like on, and yet who gets all the kudos? Mm. Peter Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, you know, Hermione Granger, look at Hermione Granger compared mm. to Ron Weasley. Mm. You know, they both get the the, the equal limelight as, as Harry Potter's as sidekick. And yet, the, because she's a woman, of a girl, rather, she has to be like a million times better than all the guys to get the yeah. same, you know, so it, there are so Is many. It, isn't that because she's a muggle? <laughs> <laughs> we could get deep into this. It's a privileged thing. It sort of throws up all sorts of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we run a... Oh, I was going to say the J word. I think we're on the way. Um, I think that, you know, women have can do so much. And men can do lots as well. Um, but women are, you know we're on our way to equality I think is what a lot of women want um but we're still working at it and we're not there yet and having it all actually isn't the answer and we've and we've got we're in the middle of a process we're in on along the road you're so right and actually to be be at this point in history and actually feel at the same time massively grateful to those women and then take on the knowledge of where we are today and marry that and evolve I hear what you're saying Kate to to take that and then for us to take it on further sorry Lucy I spoke over you then what were you going to say well I, I was just thinking that maybe sharing it all is a better way of thinking of it because yeah. you know if we think about sort of two people parenting and two people having jobs at the same time um, and then, you know, the caring thing um, that happens later on with elderly parents as well. We have to share it all. We can't Beautiful. do much more than the other. So the new phrase is we can have it all and we can share it all. Mm. Love it. <laughs> Somebody write that quickly in the notes. <laughs> You're recording it. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> All right, let's have a little bit of a change of tack. Madeline, I'm going to come to you as somebody who has contact with students. I know that's part of your role. 
Um, so not not just in um, student life, but you know maybe that's where some messages start to become embedded. I just wanted to ask you your thoughts on how much healthcare training and culture plays a part in some of the sort of learning processes that we've been talking about for women and, and for men as well. Yeah, it's an interesting one, really. So I think especially kind of coming into the academic world and, and I think with a lot of the discussions that are going on at the moment and being highlighted, I think if I kind of reflect on how we, we look at kind of the values of, of healthcare professionals, so we look at things like um, compassion and how we communicate and, and, and empathy and all those things, I don't think we ever look at it from a gender perspective. I don't think we ever differentiate, really. I think we look at those values very globally. Um, and it's very patient-focused. And I, I kind of wonder, perhaps, a little bit within that, whether there needs to be a bit more focus on how you look after peers um, in more of a supportive way. I think it's, um, you know, it, it, it's sort of indirect in the sense that you look for professionalism, you look for kind of mutual respect. But actually, you know, I, I was used to joke when I was um, when I was studying, then when I qualified, that physio was quite incestuous because you would everywhere you went, you ended up bumping into physios even if you didn't work for them they knew somebody who you worked with and um you you couldn't get away from them and actually by the very nature of it and and I think some of the forums that we're on at the moment it just becomes such a big community um but perhaps we don't kind of do enough with that perhaps very very early on and sadly I, I feel quite worried for the students at the moment in the sense that they have they haven't got that same sense of a community feel at the moment with covid and um, and working virtually but I, I think that's something um, we probably desperately need to, to look at because I, I know from my experience and I know when we've been chatting before it's similar to others I've been in um, certainly NHS settings where there, there hasn't been that support and actually it's been it's been very, very hard. And that's been amongst peers. And, and I have to say, I've, I, I know we've talked about kind of sexism and, th and things like that during conversations. I personally haven't experienced it um, from, um, from males. I've had some of the worst treatment, I think, by females. Right. Um, and I don't, I, so I, I probably don't necessarily see it as a male and female thing. I personally see it as a power yeah. thing. And I think that's about people's confidence in positions of power. And I think when they're not confident, uh, perhaps it, it boils down to imposter syndrome is I think they have a way of offloading that and transferring that in a very negative way. Mm. Um, I, maybe it's because in our professions, we have to be so caring that maybe we don't keep enough back for our, our colleagues. I'm not entirely sure what the cause is, but I think, I think probably going forward with that, we need to start with the early birds. So the, that's the kind of, you know, the people that are going to go into this profession and actually sort of, make sure they set aside some something to give back to their, their peers and their colleagues as well. Madeline, there is so much in that. that yeah, I've just been, you've just triggered off a load of light bulbs in my head and thought processes. Yeah, absolutely build that confidence so that you you have a generation who will then be confident leaders. And I, I really think you have something there about the, um, the power thing, that if, you, if you're in a position of leadership without confidence that's a really brittle mm. place to be isn't it and and yeah I, I can really reflect on that from 
people who... Go on, Lucy. <laughs> Lucy's holding up another book. The Brené Brown book is being held up, dare to lead. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, a new, a new generation of leaders within healthcare who have the confidence to show that vulnerability and compassion and all the stuff that, that mm. Brandy Brown espouses so beautifully. But yeah, I mean, have any of the rest of you experienced um, poor treatment or bullying and, and would you attribute it to, to gender or what, what are your experiences? I, after you, Lucy, after you, darling. Um, I was just going to say, yeah, I've experienced quite bad bullying in my um, previous NHS role um, and all by women um, and initially it was the team and team lead and she, she um, I think there was no one in the department that hadn't been made to cry and singled out and bullied by her um, and then I think as a whole kind of team it was really toxic in itself mm. and it was like they had a sort of witch hunt after one person or if anybody spoke out if anybody worked quite hard um I left there about five years ago um but I, I know it's still going on it's still exactly the same environment now and that's all with women um there have been men there who have worked there as physios and they've all been lovely really lovely really supportive and it was never them. It wasn't a sexist thing. It was purely a power thing. Um, I don't know whether I think they did feel threatened by the people that were perhaps quite, um, I just think quite motivated physios and were trying to move things forward and change processes. Yeah. And all of the very, assert, not assertive issues, but um, just not dinosaur fishers, just not working in old fashioned ways, just wanted to progress the service. I think they felt threatened by them and all of those people have left all of the good people that would have led that service forward have left now mm-hmm. um, but the bullies remain there and it's it's no better I think I think it's sorry Lucy I'm just going to add in so I've I've been on the other end of the, the process I was a, a CSP rep for years so I've gone through that process of actually representing people when they've put in claims about bullying and I think, sadly, the culture of a lot of NHS organisations probably does need to really, really look at itself because the difficulty thing is that they do have to put themselves in the shoes of the person who's experienced that and truly, I think, understand the impact of those actions. And sometimes when you when you kind of put the odd little comment together, it doesn't look very big. Um, but the kind of when somebody does put their voice forward and they they um, state that they've been bullied. That is such a big step for that individual. And I think often the, the fact that it's, it's not heard or it's not actively dealt with, it might be kind of heard and then it's, then it's left to, to, to fester away. Um, we, do, we lose so many good people that way. And, and they, it probably breaks their confidence for life, I would imagine. I, I could tell a personal tale and in this case it was a, it was a, a male boss and um, the trouble is is when you are dragged through that and Madeline I'm sure you've you've experienced this um, representing people mm. when you've been dragged through that kind of bullying um, and you consider yourself to be a strong person you consider yourself to be someone who is resilient who, who they can be incredibly manipulative mm. and they can you know, gaslight you and make you really question yourself to your very, very core. 
Um, and in my case, a tiny proportion of it was also some sexism in there as well. But I mean, on the bigger picture, that was just one tiny bit of it. When you get to the exit point, you know, when, you, when you're thinking about where do you go with it, we, you're so demoralised and um, vulnerable that you just want to just want to leave it all behind so I sort of look back at that time and I know like you Lisa I know that 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 person's gone on to 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 repeat behavior um and it breaks my heart that that I didn't do anything about it uh, do anything more about it but at the same time I have to have some self-compassion to recognize that you know that was a dark time of my life um that was a really hard part of my life so not really surprising that when you're in those situations it's hard to to make changes but on a on a slightly lighter note when I think back to um sort of how it works from an institutional perspective I remember from the very early days as a junior physio on the NHS and then since then because we all sort of train or or most of my generation anyway uh, trained on the NHS and then and then built built up from there but when we did appraisals oh those appraisals they were just all about your weaknesses they were all about weaknesses what are the things that you're not good at and then they'd bang on and on and on about improving your weaknesses instead of what it really should be is okay so maybe there's some things that you need to work on but what are your real strengths and and how can we nurture those strengths and make you better and bigger and stronger you know from a very early age and i remember um not me but one of my colleagues who was such an incredibly empathetic amazing physio and i remember just there was her seniors were just going on and on and on and on about about her note writing she she was dyslexic and and I'm dyslexic too but anyway and and it just broke her down and it was just an um I just really passionately feel that we should be focusing on our on our strengths and 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 each other's strengths and supporting finding helping each other to find our strengths because just the world would be a better place you're so you're so right I I I did exactly what you said Lucy I left a job but and I have to say it wasn't until I left and was out of it I realized what state I was in I was very lucky that I walked into um, an amazing organization with some great mentors who happened to be women so it didn't that you know it was really positive so do you think that we can sorry that we can take having been through experiences like this and I thankfully haven't but I've certainly seen it in the physio world that we can take them and change it basically Mm. so I've had students I'm due to have one in a few weeks and you know I can make a difference and I completely hear you Lucy I want it's eight weeks it's their final placement it's nothing they're going to be a fully fledged OT in a couple of months find out what they're good at and let them crack on with that and gain a bit of confidence because it's a big wide world and there's a lot of learning once you're qualified and I really I strongly believe that we need to yeah as a student not sit there and pick holes in what they're not good at and well you have to do this to be prepared to work you know in the NHS which is the world's wonder well you're really good at this let's get you cracking at it at a professional level because that's the next step um you know and be aware of how you can move on from the good points to work on the bits that aren't so strong Mm, actually just a little tiny little bit and then I will stop talking so I'm talking a lot but um 
when I look back, there were some moments where I made some really bad um, decisions and I behaved in what I now recognise in, in, a, in a really negative way. And I was, I thought I was doing the right thing because I was being guided by what turned out to be this, this bully. But I, I really wanted to emulate him because I had a lot of respect for him. And, and so my behaviours on a couple of occasions, I, you know, I really regret those things. Um, and so I can also see how, you know, Lisa, you were talking about, you know, that sort of that culture in that practice in the mm. department that you worked in. I can so see how, you know, negative behavior perpetuates negative behavior. Um, so yeah. if we can just, you know, I don't know, call it out if we can or support mm. people. Yeah, I don't know. But, it's so, really yeah. interesting in terms of, you know, given, I mean, I the, the, my journey would be a whole podcast on itself and nobody wants to listen to me for that long. But all I can say is um, it's not just to physiotherapists. I'm, I'm actually a, a nursing uh, nursing assistant. And I would say that the bullying that I've experienced is much more to do with insecurity. If you're coming in as a new person, you're enthusiastic, you love what you do, you're not you're not threatening anyone, you're not wanting to take anyone's job, um, but it's more to do with their insecurity. And actually, a high turnover of staff is all you need to know. If you're looking at particular job adverts or issues, the high turnover um, of a particular job and where those in power are almost burying their heads in the sand because they're not actually interested in the quality of what they're delivering. They're just looking at the numbers. You've got a lot of very dissatisfied people working under the same roof who will pick holes because they're so unhappy in their own lives. So, you know, the way to get the way I got through it was I, I just had enough. I said, right, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm signing this bank. I've never been called back as a bank worker. You know, we're in a pandemic. We're in all sorts of things. I've never been used. And I've even signed up as a domestic assistant. I've never been used. That's why I'm over here, because I actually want to do my I actually want to do something mm. um, positive. So sometimes you may not be able to change the culture of the of that of of that uh, monster that you've been working for but what you can do is determine that you will not treat people the way that you've been treated you will be the positive role model for the next people that are coming you mm. will be a mentor or you know it, you know and even if you're delivering news about people's performance it's not going to be in the way that you you've received in the past so everything is information I still have to live on the island I still have to integrate but you know being professional is its own reward and its own uh how can I put it I, I have called people out and I have said what I've had to say if they choose not to do anything about it I've done my bit and I I kind of I've been a bit of a diplomat shall we say but I've actually been able to put things in writing I've got timelines for stuff I've got things right so if anything comes up I can say yes, I agree that was good, but this was they, this this was political. This wasn't great, and I've kept I've kept records of everything. So you haven't been a passive recipient. No, of what not at all. And that. because you don't scream and shout about stuff, doesn't mean how can I put it? I think that you know sometimes you you can be goaded because people want a reaction from you. Actually, keeping your peace and acknowledging that what this being said is is wrong. I'm angry. I don't just, I agree with it. But you don't have to fly off the handle to to actually get your point across and in some ways that's even more powerful because they haven't goaded a reaction out of you Mm. you've remained dignified you've remained 
who you are, you've not lost yourself, you've not given them the power, the power is within you. Mm. See, and, what I find, um, I was just going to say, just that so resonates, but I, I think in me and with the roles that I've had in the past, I was in HR before I came into to physio, so I think that probably helps, but I'm a great advocate for other people. Mm. And I'll speak it out when it's for other people because it really, you know, it really riles me. Um, I it probably surprised me that I didn't speak out enough for myself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you've answered. I, I was going to ask a question. You know, what are we? Um, how can we improve things in healthcare? And actually, all of you have sequentially gone around and given perfect examples there. As we sort of get to the end of the podcast, let me just for a minute take it slightly away from healthcare and ask you, what are we aspiring to as women? So we've sat here and we've, um, I don't think this has been a negative conversation. We've talked about some things that we find difficult and some things that we'd like to change. But I'm really interested to know, and I'll throw this open collectively, what is it we're aspiring to as women stroke people? I would like... uh to imagine a world where um, when people decide that they're going to have children, um, where those two people discuss how they're going to equally share the load, the practical load, the decision-making, the emotional load, and at every point in their lives, it's totally acceptable that that is questioned it doesn't have to always be the same like you don't have to say all right I'm going to do 60 40 you know those those proportions can change but it's an ongoing discussion and that we openly discuss it oh oh interestingly so your other half is doing all oh, right interesting so what what is that does that mean later on you're going to change that um oh no no you're not you're going to stick at that oh that's great you know so there's that that kind of individual choice and it is genuinely there's no external pressure that one person would be expected to carry more of a caring role of children or or um elderly Mm. relatives either um, mental and emotional also, load I'd also like to ditch all the sexist chat oh. <laughs> I agree with the completely agree with the show I had a chat with my husband tonight and I know that he's an engineer and um and he said that in some jobs he's had they've actively um, chosen to employ a man over a woman when they're both um applied purely because they can't afford as a business for a woman to have maternity leave it would have been too detrimental and I think but as a man they don't it would be great to share it but they don't have that option currently there isn't that option and I think that in a lot of jobs men can't they can't work part-time my husband could not get a job in engineering part-time they don't exist so currently as the world is we can't we can't work we can't share it even if a man would like to so it there needs to be a huge change. Mm. I am um, great called yeah. part-time power, where mm. they shake up um, um, concept uh, conceptions, no, perceptions. <laughs> they uh, they shake up perceptions of of whether people can carry out certain roles part-time or not, and uh, flexibility within those roles. Um, yeah. But also that it could always swap. Like one, you know, one like ten years. The, it could be focused on one part of the partnership and the other 10 years it could flip to the mm. being in the you know there's this we just need to be creative mm. 
Because actually, again, um, the example of um, the couple that I'm living with at the moment, so they're both military, um, planning to have their child. But, the, the, you know, what's really engaging is the conversations they're having about the child, conversations that they're having about their careers. Mm. They, they are just conversing. So I would envisage a world as a woman where, um, you know, whoever my partner ends up being, if I do indeed go down that route, is that we are talking and we're conversing and we're communicating so things are not assumed assumed roles male or female we have committed to being in the relationship together as partners therefore we're having conversations about key issues um you know i'm not i'm not i'm not aiming to emasculate my partner but i'm also not wanting to be the little woman that's going to be running around painting decorating got the kid in one arm shopping in the other arm you know to you know a paintbrush in the mouth and I'm doing everything while he's sitting there you know get expecting his slippers to be brought to him and do you know what I mean that's not who I am as a person mm-hmm. um I want conversation I want partnership I want to feel that we're on the journey together and that we are co or co-authors and co-owners of our circumstances for me, that's what it's about. It's it's conversation. It's 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 um, you know, I, I want to be in the trenches and I want to look to my right and I say, this person is in this with me. I would have loved that when I was looking after my parents. I was doing that all on my own. It was really, really hard and difficult. It was incredibly difficult. Um, you know, someone just to share the load. You know, that's maybe why I'm here. I, I've worked on my own for five years. And I was desperate. I'm desperate for um, clinical mentorship. There's something that I've had in my head since I was a student. It's never happened. It's never ever happened. I've got a great bit business mentor though, so my business is actually doing really well. But clinically, I'd love to be pushed more. I'd love, you know, it's almost like having someone believe in you. Mm. And if you get the right partnership or mentorship, whatever that is, you can sort because the ability has always been there. It's about being planted in the right in the right place for mm. you. So we're getting so, yeah. themes of collaboration, partnership, celebration, yeah. encouragement, yeah. acceptance of difference, celebration of difference, yeah. um, focus on strengths, not weaknesses. Some some really really lovely themes coming through. I think it's it's, it's also about um, I guess it's understanding what makes uh, the people that we we look up to. It's it's understanding what contributes to them getting there. Um, you know, I think one of the and I even shock myself with my own perception, but I've got some great mentors now. But I look at them and almost idolise them as super women. I sort of think, how have you juggled all of that? But the more you get to know them, you realise actually it is about that life system. It's about the kind of being able to share that load. Um, and you know they've had highs and they've had lows in order to get to that position so but I think we still probably judge people quite a lot on face value Mm. and and I think maybe that's we've got to be a bit more open to understanding what's behind it so Mm. that leads me beautifully into my final question Madeline well done nice little (laughs) (laughs) so thank you fire uh ladies tell me who has been a cracking role model in your life and let's make it a female role model just for just for this final bit of conversation so let's go around in the order of my screen again kate cracking female um, so um my role models would be my friends um i um i was thinking of them in the last um 
comments that um, particularly you, Charmaine, were making in that I see them doing very different things. I've got friends that are stay-at-home mums. I've got friends who are running their own businesses, contractors. And what I um, take from, they're very strong in their own way. They have partnerships, be that business partnerships, work partnerships, home partnerships, partnerships with their children. Um, And it's a negotiation and they take on their roles and sometimes they're not happy. The balance needs to change, but it's negotiation and it is a partnership. And I see them working together and I see them being successful women. You You know, the stay at home mums to the to my friends that run their own businesses and um the other thing that struck me about that from what you said Jermaine was um that there's no judgment about that I think there's a lot of pressure on on women to have it um and my one of my friends is a stay-at-home mum and there is she's a very qualified and very clever lady but there is no judgment on her about the choices that she and her husband have made together um in their partnership so that's a very long answer to say that my role models are my friends that I've chosen that they inspire me um to have good relationships in various parts of my lives and to be and to not judge beautiful women who are living it feeling it being it Lucy who is your role model or role models so um I've had some really uh kick-ass uh older women particularly as I was growing up in my family who are just brilliant um but in my professional uh career um my first sort of my first professional role model was uh, a, a my senior um, when I was working in respiratory physio called Lorna, and she was just amazing because she was so um, she was uh, she was of that. I mean, it was pre Brené Brown, but she was of that same ilk. She was quite gentle um, but strong. She was um, you know more sort of classically female. I hate saying that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but you know she she wasn't following this alpha um uh, leadership approach she was one of the first seniors that i had that made me feel like i was really valued and that i had some really positive things that i could bring to the table and she um gave me that confidence she steered me when i was going off course but she let me i very much felt she was letting me free to to um explore my my strengths and she also had a great sense of humor and she was pretty awesome uh respiratory physio and I think she was just a great starting point for then other strong uh leaders throughout my my mm. career but she was she always springs to mind as my first well, Lorna if you're out there we salute you thank you for <laughs> being not sure that's right use it this hands I'm not sure <laughs> people can't see the actions don't worry (laughs) and you know what Lucy that that the way you describe Lorna there actually is one of the things I aspire to aspire to for women and I know you were slightly apologetic in saying that she um she was a very feminine woman but you know I I imagine a world where we are so proud to be women of whatever context and if and if that means that you 
you magnificently display femininity, but in a proud, strong and powerful way. And that means that, you know, all the all the power that comes with that femininity. Then for me, that is absolutely awesome. And yes, every every other part of the spectrum in between all the way up to alpha male. But yeah, go Lorna. <laughs> Lisa, who is your role model? So I would say I've got. Yeah, a couple of role models, one um, in my personal life and one in my professional life. So professionally, um, there's um, a physio, a female physio who runs her own um, private practice, um, neuropedes. So very similar business to my own. And I, I don't I don't know who I just follow her. And I just think she appears to have such a successful business. She seems to run it very well. Um, has um, supervision, mentoring, a lot of things set up, which I completely aspire to. Um, in terms of my personal life, it's a friend as well. But this friend, um, she was a stay-at-home mum, again, a very educated woman. Um, but I feel that she um, very much lives her life according to how she wants to. So if she feels that her current job didn't fit in with what she wanted in terms of hours to suit her family, she would change that until she found something that suited her. And I feel... I personally um, have never been able to do that, not because I, I couldn't, but I just, I always feel like I take on too much, like I should work more, I should do more, whereas she would not do that. If she felt that she was working too many hours, she wouldn't work them, she would leave that job, find something that suited her. And I absolutely look up to her for that because mm. I wouldn't do that. I would think, oh God, no, I can't. This is the job I need to do. I need to do better. I need to do more. I need to be a perfectionist. She, she's not like that. And I think she's happier in herself for that. Yeah. And I really respect that a lot. And I know, Lisa, you've got a fairly awesome personal role model as well, because you've spoken about her before, haven't you? Oh, it's about your grandmother. My own grandma. Yeah. So my um my mum's mum yeah she was pretty awesome she um she's australian um and she decided to come over to europe just to travel around europe um in 1922 which she did she got a boat by herself um traveled around europe i assume on a on a train back then um and then came over to the uk got married um to my granddad who was English um had a son my uncle then during the second world war they then decided to go back to Australia because it was safer than being here got bombed off the coast of South Africa so they lived in Durban in South Africa for a while till there was a boat they could then get the remainder of their journey back to Sydney stayed there for the duration of the war and then came back to the UK after that again on a six-month boat so that was obviously at the beginning of last century and unbelievable for yeah to know that one of my own relatives did that as a woman by herself it's phenomenal absolutely phenomenal difficult to believe really but she did and have some of that woman's blood in your veins must feel pretty good. <laughs> a leg's worth a quarter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I look like her, actually. I'm like her. Oh, Fantastic. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Charmaine. Amazing. Sorry, Lisa. Charmaine, role model. Who's yours? Role model. Um, so 
uh, my mama, my dear mama, I am mm-hmm. my mother's daughter. Um, she came from Jamaica and she had a dream and a vision. Um, she wanted to be published before she died. She got her wish. She's been published. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, I just observed her at close quarters. She brought us up single handedly. Um, she was a single mum. She instilled a lot of qualities in us. She was strong and feisty, tiny little thing, but boy, you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of her. <laughs> um, but I just observed her determination. I observed her intelligence. I observed her beauty. I, I observed her humor. I observed her playfulness. Um, you know, she, I remember her revising for her teaching exams, and I was 11 with reciting them with her. Um, you know, she had um, some strong mental health issues, but she chose to go to university rather than go to a mental health institution. You know, she used to walk to uh, Roehampton. She used to walk to Roehampton from where we lived in Kingston. She she picked up the pieces um, when we were left abandoned by my, 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 my then stepfather. She was one feisty woman and... I am so indebted to her for um, her her grace, her humour, her faith. Everything about her is, and but it was hard work looking after when she was obviously leaving us. But I feel really privileged to have been chosen as her daughter. Um, so you know, incredible woman. But yeah, she ticks so many boxes. And if I could be a part of her, I think I would be very very fortunate as a woman or as a person. Grace, humour, faith. I'm just seeing woman written really yeah. large yeah. in front of me. Yeah, there. she is Absolutely. amazing. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous story. Last but not least, Madeline, your role model. Oh, I, don't, I don't know how I can compete with that, really. I think um, <laughs> some awesome woman, though. <laughs> I, I, I guess for different stages of my life, I've got different role models, you know, I think your mum's always there somewhere. I'm always absolutely completely jealous when my mum can dance all night and kill a pair of heels and I can't. <laughs> my sister, who's really is kind of single-minded, but it's led her to kind of like build her own business from, from nothing. I think it's incredible. But I think the within my kind of professional, like, and it, maybe there's a thread going through it, but they happen to be uh, my mentors and they're two people who have, um, inspired me to go beyond where I'd even thought about going um, to the point of I'll be starting my PhD in October and these um, the, these are going to be my supervisors uh, and they helped me to create a little gem of an idea that I had that was very small based on a you know changing something within a local department to all of a sudden actually no you can be bigger than that you can change something within the profession and it's a much bigger idea and actually it's innovative and you've got the skill to be able to do it let's drive it forward into a bigger idea um and I I think it's just the, the style it's not I think um Shaman, you was saying about kind of mentorship for me now that's now what I understand is true mentorship and I've been working in wonderful places where we, we have lots of CPD events and mentorship which is basically someone telling you how it should be done better mm. and this isn't the case is someone kind of really making challenging you on your thoughts and, and and making you ask yourself the right questions so that you come up with the answer um, and really I guess they're my wrong model because I just hope at some point in in my life I'm that kind of a mentor to somebody else mm. male or female mm, beautiful 
Like, it's really interesting because everyone's talking about their role models, but equally, I think that um, we, if we're going to be very bold about it, we've probably had a positive effect on those people as well. Yes. And we should probably give ourselves credit for that. It just lots of, I made a speech at my wedding about how I've got these wonderful role models in my family, but these wonderful female role models also have these amazing men supporting them. And it's a relationship, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think lots of our role models would probably equally in turn remember us as a junior or, you know, um, our parents would definitely credit us as their children for being able to parent how they could and things like that. I think that is an absolutely wonderful statement to finish on Kate thank you yes to to remember to celebrate ourselves as part of this whole cycle of womanhood and manhood and evolution um and I I love I love the way you ladies have taken me from a point of feeling a little bit uncomfortable in this part in history to actually yeah let's take what's gone before and let's feed in what's now and let's look forward to what's coming I'm so grateful to you ladies for turning up for this conversation for answering that call to come on the podcast I never would have imagined that the conversation could have evolved so far this is a long podcast but I think we've traveled quite a long way in the last hour it's been so much fun um so if this is women reticent women that don't like talking and won't voice their opinions then let's have more of it I say yeah, yeah. <laughs> and thank you Joe. yeah, yeah. thanks and for pleasure. asking <laughs> yeah thanks for asking yeah and making it such a, sim- a supportive environment because you didn't just ask us you 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 did everything around it oh yeah down my arm oh let go of my arm Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll treat that injury later Charmaine. Don't worry. <laughs> for the half nelson yeah, <laughs> give us it all, Nelson. A shout out for Gemma Oliver. Yes, she has connectors of all of us through her amazing um, mm. uh, group. Yeah. So, um, and she 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 walks the walk, talks the talk. I mean, she's a, an incredible um, role model to to so many people, and the way she carries her vulnerability and her strength hand in hand is just awesome. So, yeah. yeah had, you know yeah and it does go back to the start so that that first post was on Gemma Oliver's um Facebook group and I'm sure most people listening know exactly who we're talking about but yes I absolutely reiterate that um there is a woman um epitomizing so many of the the character traits that we've we've said we're aspiring to so yeah thank you Gemma big shout out to you all right I'm going to wrap it up there thank you so much for joining me ladies um let's hope this is the start of many 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 podcasts with many many women on them yes thank you so much now now you've got me you can't get rid of me (laughs) (laughs) that's fine all right we've got to stop talking now ladies yes of course sorry (laughs) thank you so much thank you well what a brilliant discussion that was like a great party with your favourite girlfriends, which was much needed after this year and the pandemic. I didn't really know the way that conversation was going to go. And I didn't think that we'd be able to address so many topics in such detail. So I'm so grateful to the five women who answered the call to come on the podcast. If you enjoyed this and uh, previous episodes and you want to make sure you don't miss any episodes, then it's important that you subscribe specifically to You Matter 
Physio Matters will alert you to every fourth episode, but if you want to get each one, then you need to subscribe specifically to You Matter. If you'd also like to be involved in conversations that continue off the back of these podcasts and indeed around subjects which um, uh, address other aspects of clinician health and well-being, then please do join my community, MeHub. MeHub can be accessed via my website, mehub.co.uk. Just follow the link and um, you can ask to be invited to the MeHub community and get involved in the conversations. I hope you have a wonderful month before the next episode. I will be when I will be talking to the amazing Jo Gibson, not specifically about shoulders, but about her journey through uh, healthcare and how she appears to have navigated a path, perhaps without seeming to have fallen foul of some of the the pitfalls and the traps that might um, beset people as they rise up through the ranks of healthcare. That one's going to be a fabulous conversation. I really look forward to it. So do remember, if you are a busy clinician looking after people in all spheres of your life, all day and every day, take a little bit of time for yourself because you matter. Mm -hmm.